Hi, welcome to Season 2, Episode 21 of the Pictures Out There podcast series with Lee Stewart and Dave Fogelman. Today's episode is the fifth and final episode in a five-part mini-series, Breakthrough Pictures, the completion of our picture for education. Let's explore education that really prepares all of us for our very best lives. Should it be done? Of course. Can we break through to actually do it? Absolutely. Let's explore. And now, here's Dave and Lee. Well, thank you, Candy, for that kind introduction. Welcome back to the Pictures Out There podcast series. This is Lee. And this is Dave, and welcome to part five, the finale of our five-part podcast mini-series, Breakthrough Pictures. This episode we call A Picture for Education, part two. Now let me stop you right there. That means there was a part one. So dear listeners, if you've not yet listened to part one, we encourage you to do so. Go back, 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 back. That's the end end of our public service announcement. (laughs) All right. So we're going to continue with our picture for education. And so the topics that we're going to be talking about here at the beginning of this podcast, there's a context we want to set up. In one of the earlier podcasts, we talked about the ICE tool, where as individuals, we look at how we feel individually about ourselves. We look at our standing with our community. That's the C. And we look at our standing and how we feel about the external world we interact with. That's the E, therefore ICE. And so this notion of individual, community, and external, the topics we're going to talk about today are not generally taught in grade school or middle school, or they're they're certainly not required in any way. Right. But they really cover our relationship with our community. Yes. Family, friends, etc. and our relationship with the external world and how we communicate. So these are two thirds of the ICE model, right? Absolutely. Very important. Yeah. Well, that's an important context to establish, Dave, as we go through our picture for education. So let's begin today's discussion about our picture for education by turning our attention to social skills. Mm. Among social skills, we might think about social media management. Now think about that. We're all on Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, whatever your social platform preference may be. And right now, it's kind of left to parents and then to individuals themselves to figure out how to navigate through that landscape. What if in a formal education context, we taught about social media management? How much is too much? What's credible information versus distrustful information? And how best to communicate through it? Yeah, still really kind of a new and potentially scary set of things to deal with, but everybody's dealing with it. And so in our picture for the future, we would think that some of that has kind of come to ground and there would be a general agreement about certain things that should be taught about social media, informative and helpful, not just for children and young learners, but for their parents. Think of social media in this way. Hey, centuries ago, we needed to learn about science, Mm -hmm. math, history, reading. Well, social media has kind of become another, quote, topic because it's such an important element of our daily lives. It's core. Why not teach it? Right. Okay. Also among social skills, we come to cognitive biases, and we might include on that list unconscious biases. So how do stereotypes 
A, help us function because they do. They're mental shortcuts for us to navigate through life successfully, but then also they can be very, very harmful to our understanding of others. Yeah, in part one of this podcast, we talked about understanding how our brains work. And this is really a very important social part of how our brains work, right? Yep. What if we talked about sociology a little further? Social organization. Mm. We'd like to give a shout out here to a wonderful book called Cast, C-A-S-T-E, by Isabel Wilkerson, that we have referenced in previous podcasts. Mm -hmm. It comes into play here in a discussion of social organization. Also on our list could be social psychology, social change, Mm. human ecology, population and demographics, applied sociology, sociological methods and research, and the list goes on. Yeah, it's the interaction not only of us with other people, but with our world, the human ecology element. Yeah, so again, critical core skills, we believe, in education of the future. More core skills around psychology, Ah. clinical psychology, which would include counseling for mental and behavioral health. Cognitive psychology, which again is the study of mental processes. In our first podcast in this two-part series, we talked about neuroscience. Here it comes back in play again. Behavioral psychology, understanding our behavior through different types of conditioning. And biopsychology, which is research on the brain, behavior, and on evolution. And one of the things that we understand is even though our emotional maturation may not be super far along at, say, age six or seven, our mental capability is largely there. Yes. Not completed, but it's largely there. And children have the capability to start dealing with some of these topics and actually help them deal with some of the socializing that they need to have with the community that Mm -hmm. they live in, Mm -hmm. and as well as understanding how to interact with the external world. Yeah, absolutely. Also on our list of core knowledge development would be basic anthropology, all right? Mm -hmm. How do other cultures think, believe, behave, okay? And basic economics. Mm. I think economics gets a bad rap, Because too frequently it's regarded as, well, supply and demand, fiscal policy, monetary policy. It's all of those things. Right. But at its root, it's a behavioral science. Right. Okay. Understanding how societies allocate what's invariably a limited number of resources for alternative uses. Right. How are we going to spend the resources that we possess for greatest effect? We think that microeconomics and macroeconomics both should be taught. And then there's the incentive versus behavior framework that is absolutely central to human choice making. Meaning if you show me the incentive, I'll show you the behavior. Ah, and we've talked about in other podcasts, the impact of grabbing for power and greed and those types of things. Mm -hmm. Economics gets at some of the motivations, the social motivations or the individual motivations behind that. So understanding economics and how to affect good economic solutions for individuals as well as for a society can really help us combat some of our basest human tendencies toward greed and other things. Absolutely. What if we were to incorporate into our education learning about trust, Oh, which I think we would all regard as a foundational concept in human relationships, right? Trust. Teaching trust. Teaching trust. So Dave, I've got a little bit of experience with teaching trust, not to children, but to graduate students at a university level. Right. And here's something that I've come to realize is important over the last several years. I've divided that big, hairy, kind of ambiguous 
concept of trust into two categories. Mm -hmm. And that seems to help people understand it a bit more thoroughly. Those two categories are what we call task trust and relationship trust. So what do we mean by those terms? Well, I think task trust can be characterized by this statement. If I gave Dave an assignment, something to be accomplished, a work task, he would, if I had a high degree of task trust in him, he would deliver it on time, on budget, with a high quality deliverable, he would get her done, okay? In Dave, I would possess a high degree of task trust. Mm -hmm. I know I can count on him to get the job done. However, mm -hmm. what if I thought Dave was a worm and he was talking about me behind my back? Mm. That would be a manifestation of low relationship trust, mm. right? So we actually possess task trust and relationship trust with each individual whom we have meaningful relationships with. Sometimes it can operate in the converse, in which I have a high degree of task trust in someone and low relationship trust, but also high relationship trust, but low task trust. Now, what does that look like? Well, Dave's my best friend, and we own a lake house together, and our spouses are best friends, and we coach one another's kids' soccer teams. We're besties. But you know what? He reports to me at work, and sometimes I cover for him because he drops a few balls on his job, okay? Mm -hmm. That's high relationship trust, low task trust. Mm -hmm. So I've encouraged people to think about the meaningful relationships in their lives and say, where do those exist on this task trust, relationship trust continuum? Mm -hmm. Assess, is it high, medium, low in both instances, task and relationship, or high task, low relationship? Where are we? You're really describing a new language. Yeah, it's a new vocabulary to think about yeah. trust. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Now, let me tell you the fix here, the cure, if you will. If I have low task trust, for example, in someone on my work team, probably that's an indication that they just don't have the full understanding of their job responsibilities and accountabilities yet. They need more experience. They need more training. I like to tell people I would take low task trust any day of the week because I know how to fix it mm -hmm. through increased management, clear articulation of expectations and standards and processes and procedures. Mm -hmm. Now, what if I assess that you and I had low relationship mm. trust? This is where it gets difficult. There's only one fix, one cure for low relationship trust. Are you ready? It's to spend more time on the relationship. Ah. <laughs> and when I tell people that, they go, oh, good. I already don't like that person. Now I have to spend more time more with them. Time. To which I say, yes. If it's an important relationship to you, if you need it to be fully functional and fully healthy, then what you do is you make time just to sit down and get to know one another as people. Mm. And whatever is in your way in creating low relationship trust, for example, it's work. Hey, we just don't get along at work. We'll take work off the table and say, we can talk about anything we want to talk about except work because that's the basis of our conflict. So having done that a couple of times, where you just talk about how was your weekend? Have you seen any good movies lately? What are you reading? You spend some time like that. Well, some of those work issues now become a little bit more approachable and addressable. If I, for whatever reason, you and I don't have a great relationship and the onus is on me to then learn about you mm -hmm. and spend time with you, and I just don't want to do that, well, why not? Mm-hmm. And so some of that, we don't, we don't like talking about why we may not want to do that, why we may not want to spend yes. the time. Is there something else below the that, surface? The surface. And it kind of, in a beautiful way, it sounds like kind of you know, removes that obstacle of, of that. And you can see very clearly the problem. Yeah, it absolutely does. It cuts through misinterpretations. It cuts through assignment of motives. 
it cuts through when we catch ourselves never assuming good intent, but assuming uh, mal intent, poor intent, those kinds of things. So it's a useful framework to think about trust in those two ways, task trust and relationship trust. So you think that task trust and relationship trust in some form could be taught at how early an age? Is this is this potentially a grade school topic? Oh yeah, absolutely. I don't know the age, seven, eight, six, I'm not sure, but absolutely we could begin to teach children what it's about. And it might be called, I'm, I'm imagining this, is it, you know, how to be a good friend. Yes. How to make friends. How to make friends. How to meet a stranger. Right. And how often do you see, now having this visibility to these topics, how often do you see people confusing the two? And that causing a, an unnecessary conflict because yes, right. I can tell you don't trust me and I think it's because of the relationship when in fact it may be just about the task. People have fed back to me numerous times, oh, I had a poor relationship with XYZ individual. And when we talked, we realized that we're actually together on values and all of the important mm. relationship elements. And what kind of got in our way, way back when was you kind of screwed up a project. That was a task issue. Right. And it had nothing to do with the relationship trust that you oh, had in that individual. Beautiful. Yeah. Another element of trust, and we, again, we think this is a critical topic in education. We're going to call this event trust. Let's take a car accident. Yes. Okay. So a car accident happens, one of those unfortunate things, and people afterwards are asked to describe the car accident, right? Yes. It may be a police report or what have you. There is what we would call the event you know, what precisely happened? Right. How were the cars moving? How fast? What was precisely happening? The pickup truck ran the red light and hit the car on its right side. Yeah. And so what we're describing is the ability in any kind of conflict in particular or any kind of situation that comes up, being able to separate the specifics of the event. And so it may be that you have a dispute with somebody and there's this relationship issue, just as we've talked about. Why is there a conflict there? Well, back then they said this, they did this. They, right. Okay. Have you all agreed and talked through specifically what happened? What was exactly what was said? That's event trust. Mm -hmm. That's trying to create as much overlap as you can. Then you get into the perspectives. What was your body language? What was your tone of voice? How did you make me feel? Mm -hmm. And swapping things on that. This is something much like relationship and task where we see people confusing the two and going in and out of the two and separating those to where people can get clarity helps resolve conflicts and again, helps that socialization that we're talking about both within your community and within the external world. Yeah, I think that's an excellent observation. It's kind of a deeper mutual understanding Hey, let's have a conversation about who really said what. Let's go back to the original fact set, as it were, and say, this is really what happened. Do you agree? Yes, I agree. That's what happened. That's a good place to begin healing. So out of all of that, we would say you have the event trust, which is about the event. Then input-output trust is the trust we have in the input we receive from other people and sources and the trust that others have in the output that mm -hmm. we provide to other people. Bottom line, these factors matter a lot. And let's give what we think would be some rules of the road going forward on this as an education topic. The larger the number of input sources that we have, the more our output will be probably trusted by other people. Mm -hmm. So if mm -hmm. Lee says, well, what's going on with issue X? And I said, well, I heard so-and-so say this. Right. That's different than my saying, well, I heard so-and-so say this. I also understand from this and this and this source 
that it's also true. Yes. That's more believable. It's more credible. Mm -hmm. So it calls on us to use multiple sources. The broader in thought, philosophy, experience, et cetera, that our input sources are, the more our output's going to be trusted. The more credible to the population in general that our input sources are, the more our output's going to be trusted. So as an education factor, we would talk through with children and adults how you go out and get multiple sources and validate and get credibility then to the output that you give. Yes, absolutely. And by the way, don't you appreciate it and respect a source more when it goes, well, we think it's this, but there's some evidence over here that says it may not quite be that. Exactly. That that's enhances your credibility. Exactly. So we think that's something that can be taught. Well, Dave, I think much of what we've discussed today and in part one of our two-part podcast series about education, the time is right to make some of these changes. Here we are in the year 2023. We've learned so many things about the delivery of education. Now we can kind of ride on top of that momentum and begin to integrate some of these concepts that we've described. Agnostic of the delivery system, whether you're sitting in a classroom or you're sitting in front of a computer screen, how can we now build on teaching social skills, teaching basic psychology skills, and all of the core knowledge things that we hit upon today and in our previous discussion? I think we have arrived at a tipping point. We learned different delivery methodologies in the field of education. And now we need to build on that momentum by teaching new concepts. Many of the concepts that we've talked about in terms of lifelong learning and core knowledge acquisition. Yeah, we've had both the huge change in society with what people may call the information age, with everything that has happened with changes in how our society engages each other to really have individual ownership happen in a new way with education Mm -hmm. through these different delivery Mm -hmm. mechanisms that we've talked about. I think we see the opportunity that's here, the breakthrough opportunity. Yes. So I think also in closing, Lee, in addition to that tipping point that you described, in all of these things that we're describing with our picture, you may be left with the notion of, gee, you're really talking about amping up all of our capability to be open-minded, to be open, to look at possibilities, lifelong learning, different opportunities now with social engagement, different opportunities now with learning techniques. All of those things are true. We think all of that can be amped up and should be amped up. We also think, correspondingly, what should be amped up is our pursuit of facts and truth and the opportunity that we have with math skills, with science skills, with some of these things, to really both at the same time take our ability to be open-minded up and take our ability to search for truth. And we think both of those can be at a completely different place with this picture of education that we have. So in closing, we like to ask, what are your pictures? What are your perspectives? What are your ideals? And what is your influence to use? All opportunity. Take care. Talk to you soon. Thanks for joining us today. As always, feel free to explore more about Pictures Out There at picturesoutthere.com and major social media sites. We hope you have the day of your dreams, the day of your pictures. <laughs>